Good, good. So good to see you this morning. Did y'all hear uh, kids are dismissed and the yay? Yeah, out of the mouths of babes, right? Like, I'm excited to be at church. I hope you are too. Glad you joined us. And I want to welcome you to the third week of a series we're doing here at Hope called Be Different. We started talking in week one. It's about something we all see as we look around. And it's just that normal isn't working. It's not working in politics. It's not working in our marriages. It's not working for the next generation. And here at Hope, we love talking about how God can transform our life. We don't need to be normal. We don't want to be normal. We're proud to be different because different is better. Last week, we heard from Steve. He talked about how to have a different marriage. And uh, it was a great message. And, uh, you know, half of, nearly half of all marriages today end in divorce. A lot of people are unhappily married. A lot of couples are unhappily married. But we learned from Steve last week that if we'll put Jesus at the center of our life, um, that's really the starting place for having a more happy and successful marriage. Well, today, I want to talk to you about something different for the next generation. We're talking about different generation. And uh, I, I'm, I'm a pastor that believes in the next generation, which is why my wife and I spent over a decade of our lives investing in the next generation, inspiring the next generation to love, serve, and follow Jesus Christ. Um, I believe our young people today need Jesus now more than ever. And God has given us as caring adults the awesome responsibility of passing on our faith from one generation to the next. Maybe you heard the story about a family uh, that had a priceless heirloom that had been passed on from one generation to the next. Uh, the heirloom was a beautiful vase, um, just gorgeous, you know, delicate vase. And it had been passed on from, uh, from par- you know, grandparents to parents, all the way down for generations. And um, it had come to this one family now, and they had been displaying it very proudly on the mantle. Well, one night, mom and dad decided to go on a date. When they got home, they saw the kids on the floor. And the children, they they said, you know, what's going on? And the children said, "Uh, well, um, you know that beautiful vase? It's been passed down from generation to generation. Mom and dad are like, yeah. They said, this generation dropped it. (laughs) (laughs) Our children are too important. For us to drop the vase. How do we inspire faith in the next generation? See some parents here today. If you're a parent, if you're raising children, this message is for you. Here at Hope, we believe parents are primary. No one has more... Whoa, that ringing is making it tricky for me. Sorry. Is that me? I'm really walking a lot. Good, good. Okay, let's keep going. Um, studies show that no one has more influence in a child's relationship with God than a parent. Parents, you're number one. You matter. Uh, as a youth pastor, I, I would say I'm just putting the icing on the cake, parents, that you're baking at home. Like, and icing is actually a good illustration for youth ministry, by the way. Um, parents, you matter. Parents are primary. You know who has the second greatest influence 
in the life of a child for their relationship with God? It's grandparents. Yeah, number two, grandparents. So, yeah, we got some grandparents here. You guys matter. And you're making a difference. You're important in the life of your children and your grandchildren. So parents and grandparents, this message is for you. Maybe you're here today and you're not parenting. Or you're not a parent. This message is for you. Because as members of the body of Christ, we're all spiritual parents. And we're commanded to pass on our faith from our generation to the next. We all have a role to play in passing on our faith from one generation to the next. So how do we do that? Let's get equipped from Psalm 78. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open it up now to Psalm 78. Got your Bibles? Good, good. We'll get it up on the screen for you. Um, a few things you want, I want to share with you that you need to know before we get into Psalm 78. First of all, this is a Psalm of Asaph. I don't know if you've heard of Asaph before. Um, psalm 78 is a part of a collection of 12 psalms that were ascribed to Asaph. Who's Asaph? Asaph was a singer, songwriter, and musician who became one of the greatest worship leaders uh, at the temple during the time of King David and King Solomon. Now, whether of Asaph, you'll see that in the superscription of Asaph, whether of Asaph means it's by Asaph, it's for Asaph, or it's for Asaph's children and family to sing. We really don't know. Not totally sure what of Asaph means. But one thing is clear. Asaph left a legacy. If you read the Bible and you study Asaph a little bit, you'll, you'll discover that um, Asaph and the sons of Asaph purposely passed on Asaph's understanding of worship from one generation to the next. So Asaph actually lived out what he's writing about in Psalm 78 today. I like that. He put this into practice. Second, Psalm 78 is what we call a historical psalm. So a historical psalm presents the stories of God's people down through history. And it will tell us the amazing things that God has done in history, like rescuing his people from Egypt, and these things inspire faith. But the historical psalms also tell us of many of the mistakes and failures of God's people. So we can learn from the past and not repeat those same sins and failures today. It's a historical psalm. Uh, this psalm, Psalm 78, covers a tremendous amount of history from Exodus uh, all the way to the time David becomes king. Psalm 78 is actually 72 verses long. So it's the second longest psalm in the Psalter, right behind Psalm 119. Oh, buckle up, we're going to cover 72 psalms. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I would encourage you this week, read Psalm 78 in its entirety. It's a great psalm. Today we'll be covering uh, verses 1 through 8. These first eight verses present the big idea of the psalm, which is inspiring faith in the next generation. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about a different generation. How do we see a generation transformed by Jesus Christ? And those are our, our children, our, our, our grandchildren, the next generation, children who attend our church family, those who are in, are in our neighborhood. 
I want to see everyone come to know Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Let's read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. It says, A mascal of Asaph. Here we go. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Can anybody just amen, amen that right there? We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. We're not going to hold back. We will let them know God's power, the wonders he's done. Verse 5 says he's decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. So if you're paying attention, you're talking about four generations there, passing on the faith. God, let that be our generation. To the next, to the next, to children yet unborn. That's the legacy we're talking about here. Then they would put their trust in God. It's our goal and our purpose. They would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Let's pray. We'll study this this morning, see how God can make a difference in our lives and in the next generation. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you're at work in our lives and you're at work in the hearts of our children. We thank you that even right now they're learning about you. But God, we want to rise up as a church. And we want to tell the next generation what you've done. And it's our prayer that you would so work in our hearts this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would leave this place inspired and excited. To see the next generation come to know Jesus in a powerful and personal way. So help make that a reality. We care about our children, our grandchildren, pro prodigal children, God. We know we can't change a life, but we know you can. So please work in our hearts, work in our lives and in our families. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 78, we're looking at three ways to inspire faith in the next generation. How can you be a part of inspiring faith in the next generation? Number one, tell your story. You got a story to tell. God's done some amazing things in your life. Tell your story to the next generation. We can ignite faith in the next generation by telling our story. Let's dive in. Psalm 78.1 begins this way. My people hear my teaching Listen to the words of my mouth. You guys hear the urgency in Asaph's voice here? He has something really important to tell us today, and he's inviting us to listen. I will open my mouth with a parable. I'll utter hidden things, things from old. What's a parable? A parable, maybe in the most basic sense, is a story with a lesson. Right? That's a parable, just a story with a lesson. So 72 verses in Psalm 78, Asaph is going to recount the true story of what God has done for his people 
down through the ages. But Asaph is letting us know right here at the top, he's not just telling us some history, but he's giving us a parable. He wants us to understand that, that by telling these stories, they're meant to be lessons for us today. It's a lesson for you and it's a lesson for me. We're learning from history. You know, Jesus too loved to tell stories. And he often spoke in parables. The Gospels recount some 30 parables of Jesus. And uh, we know many of his most famous parables. And can you think of any, church? What, what are some of the famous parables of Jesus? Prodigal son, that's one that I, I thought of. Yeah, the Good Samaritan. Those are two really powerful parables. Now, Jesus would tell these stories so he could present life-changing truths. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we learn how to love our neighbor. And compassion. In the story of the prodigal son, anybody can turn and go home. The father runs to welcome us home. The love of the father. Parables present life-changing truths. They're lessons for us to learn. Now, when Jesus was asked why he spoke in parables, Matthew 13, 35 actually quotes Psalm 78, verse 2. I don't know if you knew that. It says, so was fulfilled. This is Matthew 13. Why do you speak in parables? This is what Jesus says. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. Asaph is called a prophet here. I will open my mouth in parables. I'll utter hidden things since the creation of the world. I like that. Parables give us a lesson that we can learn. But do you notice how it also connects with these hidden things, hidden things? Parables offer us a mystery. And I think this is important. Not everyone sees God the way that you and I see God. Do they? Right? Not everyone understands what you and I have received in Christ. Many realities of a relationship with God that seem obvious to us are actually hidden from many, many people. You and I should never take for granted that we know God, right? that God has forgiven our sin, right? that we have a new life in Christ. These are wonderful things that many people haven't experienced you know, Jesus gives another answer in Matthew 13 as to why he speaks in parables. He says in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Then in verse 16, he says, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. In other words, you and I have a story to tell. God has done something powerful in our hearts to open our eyes to the wonder of who he is. Our lives have been transformed by faith in Jesus Christ. We have a story to tell. And we're meant to tell that story to our children and our grandchildren and our friends' children. How do we inspire faith in the next generation? As it says in Psalm 78, I'll open my mouth with a parable. I'll utter hidden things, things from old. Not everyone understands this, but to you the knowledge of the kingdom has been given. Things we have heard and known, things 
our ancestors have told us. And for 64 verses in Psalm 78, Asaph is going to tell us of the amazing God has done. He rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the, the Red Sea. He's led us through some things, brought them across the wilderness, led them into the promised land, established David as king of Israel. And Psalm 78 comes to an end right at this point. David is king. I love it. That's not where the story ends, is it? No, no, no. The big God story extends beyond the time of David to the coming of a greater David, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he would bring the kingdom. He would forgive sin. Right? By dying on the cross and rising from the dead, death is defeated. Praise God. And now you and I are invited to begin a brand new relationship with God. And it's a relationship that comes by faith, not by works. It's not religion here. This is trusting in God. It's a relationship with God. Starts today and lasts forever. You and I have a story to tell? Yeah, we have a story to tell. And by telling that story, we can inspire faith in the next generation. Tell your children. Tell your grandchildren. Tell the world what Jesus has done for you. Tell your story. We can tell that story on two levels. First of all, we can share Jesus' story. Another word for Jesus' story, the true story of Jesus, is just the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Paying the price for our sin and giving us eternal life by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. We have a lot of stories that we'd love to share with the next generation. And, uh, you know, maybe you have a story of a grandparent or an amazing story from, you know, your ancestry. These are great stories. But the one true story that our kids got to hear is the gospel story. Our children need to hear about Jesus. They need the gospel. They need to hear how they can be saved by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Children need to hear the gospel. We can share Jesus' story. We can tell our kids how they can be saved. Have you told your children the good news of the gospel? Parents, grandparents. Number two, another level, you can share your story. You can share your story. Your story is your personal testimony of how Jesus has changed your life. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a story. And some of you here today have a dramatic story. You, you came to know Jesus Christ later in life. You've been through some things, right? There are some you got some, maybe, Jesus brought you out of some stuff, huh? Like, there was some sin, there was some brokenness, bad relationships, whatever. And then you met Jesus, you left your past behind. You said yes to following Jesus Christ. He radically changed your life. You have a powerful story. I love hearing the stories of how somebody was going a direction completely, you know, away from God. They met Jesus and they made a drastic turn, and their life and their legacy will forever be 
different. There are some other people in this room today. and You might have what we call a less dramatic testimony. A lot of times those begin with the phrase, I grew up in a Christian home. As a youth pastor, I had the opportunity to talk to our high school and middle school students about how they could share their testimony. I can't tell you how many young people said, oh, I don't have a testimony. I grew up in a Christian home. I was born and on Saturday and on Sunday they brought me to church. I've never left. young people in the room who've grown up in the church. I don't have a story. Please. One of our volunteers came to Jesus later in life in his 30s. And when he he would hear young people, I don't have a testimony. Are you kidding me? And he would say, I wish. I wish I would have grown up hearing about Jesus. I wish, as a 12-year-old, I would have been at youth group learning about the Bible. You realize how many mistakes I wouldn't have made if I would have met Jesus as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old? You got a story. Whether it's a dramatic story or whether it begins, I grew up in a Christian home. Don't take for granted how God has worked in your life. Have a story to tell. It's a beautiful, amazing story. Does this mean our stories are perfect? Anybody perfect story? No. Every story has mess. Every story has sin. Psalm 78, read it this week. It tells of amazing and powerful things that God did in saving his people. Those stories inspire us, but it also talks a lot about God's God's people's sin. It, It talks about failures to trust God. It doesn't hide the people's sin. Let me say it this way. Our kids don't need perfect parents. They don't need the adults in their life to be perfect. Because, by the way, our kids already know we're not perfect. Okay, they've already discovered that. So they just need us as adults to be willing to admit it. Hey, the way I reacted, I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Hey, let me be as a parent the first one to say I messed up. Our kids need to see that modeled from us. As adults, I heard parents and talked to parents who say, how in the world do I encourage my teenage son or daughter to save sex for marriage if I didn't do that? How do you do that? Real simple. You say, you know what? God created something so intimate for a man and a woman that he designed it specifically for the safety and commitment of 
of a marriage relationship. And you know what? I didn't do that. And looking back today, I wish I would have. Repentance restores the standard. These are powerful teaching moments for our kids. We don't always hide the mistakes that we've made. We share them in age-appropriate ways, right? Or we, we acknowledge when we've sinned. But what are we doing in those moments? We're teaching our children what to do with their, their sin. We're saying when we sin, we confess it. And we receive help and forgiveness from the Lord. It's one of the most powerful lessons we can teach our children. We inspire faith in the next generation by sharing our story. You have a story to share. Tell your story to the next generation. Let's not hide the story of what God's done for us. Psalm 78.4 in the New Living Translation says, We will not hide these truths from our children, but we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, His power and His mighty wonder. First way to inspire faith, tell your story. Number two, we can keep on rolling. Instill a biblical worldview. Instill a biblical worldview. As adults, as caring adults, we want to instill a biblical worldview in the lives of our children. So let's talk a little bit about worldview. What is a worldview? Worldview is the lens through which you view the world. By the way, everyone has a view, a view of the world. Everyone has a world view. A lot of times, though, we just don't realize it. It's kind of like a contact lens. A lot of you guys don't know this. I wear contact lenses. Okay, I can't see without them. Anybody else here wear contact lenses? Anybody? Okay, these are all the crazy people that are comfortable touching their eyeball. It doesn't bother them at all, all right? All right, some of us wear contact lenses. If you're a contact lens wearer, uh, you're very comfortable touching your eye. That's why for a long time I was like, I can't wear contact lenses. How am I going to touch my eye? You just do, and you get used to it. But many times as a contact lens wearer, I don't even realize I'm wearing contacts. I completely forget about it. In fact, one morning I was putting contacts in my eyes, and I got one in, and then I lost the other one. I could only see out of one eye. Was, I was like looking everywhere for the contact lens in the sink, on the, fo the floor. I spent about 20 minutes looking for the contact lens. And then I realized there was one place that I hadn't looked. My eye. It was in my eye the whole time. I don't know how it got there, but it was in my eye. I didn't even realize it. Like a contact lens, the worldview is not always something that we look at, but it's always something that we're looking through. Every one of us has a worldview. And it could be it could be a worldview that's shaped by the Bible. It could be a secular worldview where God's not really a part of our view of the world. It could be a postmodern worldview. Oh, you know what? Oh, that's great. What's true for you might not be true for me. There's so many worldviews out there today. Atheistic worldview. Every one of us has a worldview. And if you're wondering today, what, what might be my worldview? You can find out by asking yourself questions like these worldview questions. How do I decide what's true? We're all making decisions about what's true. How do you make that decision? Can something be true for you that's not true for another person? How do you answer these questions? That's a worldview question. Where did the universe come from? 
Is there a God who created the universe? Or did the universe begin without any God? What's wrong with the world? Something's wrong with the world. What is it? How do you answer that question? What's your worldview? What's the solution? Is it self-salvation? Humanism? We will solve our own problems? Is it politics? You have a political worldview. If we just get the right person in office, that will solve the world's problems. Or is it Jesus? What's my purpose? These are worldview questions. Everybody has a worldview. Most of the time, we're just not thinking about it. But a good worldview will help us, a lot like a contact lens, see reality more clearly and bring everything into focus. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says it this way. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That is a worldview. One of the greatest gifts we can give the next generation is a biblical worldview. Help our children see the world and see themselves like God sees us and God sees our world. We want to instill a biblical worldview. Look at Psalm 78. Asaph speaking about teaching one generation to another. What does he say in verse 5? says, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established a law in Israel. Asaph here is describing one of God's wonders. One of the great things that God has done. What is it? It's one of the best things God ever did for Israel. It says, he gave us his word. It says right here, he established his law in Israel. We have been given God's word. And when we hear the word law, he established his law, I think a lot of times we immediately think of God's rules, right? God's law, God's rules. God has given us just laws in the scripture. You want to understand justice? Maybe you read Deuteronomy, you get a better view of God's justice, just laws. We, we read good rules in scripture but understand that law in, in the Hebrew Bible is not exactly just the rules. Torah, that's the, the word for law, Torah or law really should be translated teaching. The idea is that uh, these are the best instructions for human life to flourish, and they come right from God. There's a different way to live. There's a better way to live. Uh, there's a different way, a better way of viewing the world, and we find it in God's word. This is his Torah. This is his teaching. It's the gift of God to every one of us. God has given us a gift by giving us scripture, and he commands us to pass on his word from one generation to the next. Verse 5, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even children get to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. I really think one of the greatest gifts we can give our children, not just God's rules, but God's views. Hey, this is how God sees you. This is how God sees the world. Let's see the world 
the way God sees the world, like a contact lens. I'm looking through this lens. Instill a biblical worldview. And there's so many ways that we can do this. Um, just give you some examples here. Uh, as we talk to our kids about being a boy or being a girl, we want to say things like, look, God made you a boy. Right? This is God's good design. It's, isn't it great to be a girl? Yeah, God made you a girl by design. We're affirming a biblical worldview. Right? We're going to be intentional about telling our children that their life is not just an accident. They're not just here. Their story isn't being told just because they're the end result of some unguided process of random chance. No, we believe in a God who created us. There is a God who loves you. He made you. You have a purpose. You have a reason for being on this earth. We're affirming a biblical worldview. What about when it comes to building self-confidence in our kids? I want to do that. I want confident children. But the way we do that from a biblical worldview is not just affirming their self-esteem. Oh, wow, like you're so, you can be so confident in yourself. You can rely on yourself. Oh, if you just try hard enough, you can save yourself. That's not, that's not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is the fear of the Lord one has a strong confidence. And no matter how weak you feel inside, you can find confidence in God because God is great. You can trust in him. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children will find a refuge. Proverbs 14, 26. Take advantage of these moments with our kids, with children. When you have a second to speak into their life, instill that biblical worldview. Hey, this is what we believe. What a difference that makes. I like how Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Where does this start? Our hearts. It starts in our hearts. To be on our hearts. Then, look at this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up doesn't get any more practical than this. When you sit at home, that's around the dinner table. When you walk along the road, in the car. When you lie down, bedtime conversations. My kids are never ready to go to bed. It's a perfect time. A little conversation. When you get up, morning conversations. God's given us an awesome responsibility, church family, to share our faith with the next generation. Whatever children might be in your life, we can inspire faith in their hearts by telling our story, instilling a biblical worldview. Last one, embrace your unique purpose. Embrace your unique purpose. It's been said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. It's never been more true than in our time today. As you look at culture, as you look at our nation and where faith is at, religious belief is on the decline. Faith is on decline. According to a new analysis from Pew Research, 
Look at the percentage of adults who say they're Christian. This is by generation. Silent generation, 84% say they're a Christian. Baby boomers, 76%. Gen X, 67. Millennials, 49. These trends continue to the next generation, Gen Z. Now being called the least religious generation in the history of our nation. Church family, that's the next generation in our country, on our watch. It's time to embrace our unique purpose. Let me say this, God's not done with the younger generation. You guys hear about the revival in Asbury? God is on the move. And he's giving us hints about what he's capable of doing even in the least religious generation in our nation's history. This is not part of my sermon, but I'm going there. This is so cool. Asbury Revival. CNN wrote this. <laughs> CNN. Wrote, they're talking about young people worshiping Jesus. <laughs> they had to define revival. <laughs> they're like, okay, revival. Here's what revival. Okay. This is what CNN reports. On the campus of a small Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky, a massive worship service has been rolling nonstop for nearly two weeks. Students went to chapel and they never left. At evening, or the event at Asbury University is so popular, people have flown from across the country, standing in line outside the college's main chapel for an opportunity to take part in the singing, praying, and discussion unfolding within. This revival is a student-led revival. 70% of the people inside of that auditorium are Gen Zers. Don't leave God out of the equation. He's doing something powerful in the next generation. The question is, will we as adults embrace our unique purpose? Will we do this? Will, we, will you embrace your unique purpose? Because we can be a part of turning the tide in this generation. I believe that today. See, the world is not going to tell our kids about Jesus. It is incumbent upon us, church family, to begin to define today what is our task and what is our purpose. And if that is that the next generation would know God, then we will see accomplish what we read about in Psalm 78, verse 7. Then they will put their trust in God and will not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, us, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. God is at work. We believe in the next generation. But it starts with every one of us defining for ourselves what is the purpose for which we will embrace. And our purpose here today is that we would see a generation transformed by Jesus Christ. But you cannot embrace that purpose today and stay the same. 
if we embrace a purpose that the next generation might know God, might trust God, might follow God, then we will be wise about what we allow our children to watch. We will be wise about social media. We will, uh, look, my children are not going to be the first children to have a smartphone. What is our task? What is our purpose? Do we want the next generation to know Jesus Christ? Then it's time to make a change. It's time to say, you know what, Sundays aren't just being for being at the ball field. We got to be in the house of the Lord. We can be a part of this incredible move of God. And let's challenge our children by saying we believe in you. And you can do hard things for the Lord. We've got young people leading a revival. We have no idea what a 15-year-old is capable of doing or a 20-year-old. You are more capable than you even imagine. David was a teenager when he slew Goliath. What could God do through you? Maybe it's clicking the link. Shameless plug here, guys. Shameless. <laughs> So shameless. <laughs> We're registering volunteers right now for our Sunday PBS. We need you to sign up. Go to the HCCWG. Click the link. Our VBS is a week-long mission trip for us as a church family. For the sake of the children in our community. Please be a part of that. Please sign up. Just let us know some areas you're interested in serving. A lot is happening on that front. Stellar runs from June 19th to 23rd in the evening. And, uh, you know, a lot of you are already serving in children's ministry. We want to say thank you for investing in the next generation. You are making a difference. How do we inspire faith in the next generation? Right here. Tell your story. Don't hide your story. Share the gospel. Instill a biblical worldview. Did you know this is how God sees you? This is how God sees our world? Embrace your unique purpose to see the next generation transformed by Jesus Christ. And this generation will be transformed. Will you pray with me? And God, you are an awesome God. And we thank you that you did something wonderful in our life so that we could put our faith in Jesus. Maybe we grew up in a Christian home. Maybe we were running the opposite direction and you, you got our attention. And now here we are. We are your people. You've changed our lives. And we want that so badly for the next generation. God, we're thankful for how you're working and campuses across this nation. Holy Spirit, would you fan into flame the work of God in the hearts of our children, in the hearts of our students. But God, don't leave us out. Holy Spirit, move across this room. In the lives of young and old, we're crying out for revival. Stir our hearts once again. We have sinned. We have forsaken you. 
we have lost our first love. We have lived in comfort and inconvenience for no longer. Teach us, God, to say yes to the hard things you've asked us to do. Teach us to say yes to embracing our calling and our purpose. We will be different. And we will glorify your name so that all the earth might know the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ. Would you minister to our hearts this morning? Sometimes we just don't know how to help our children. We've made mistakes in our past. Would you help us? Let your truth set our hearts free so that we can extend your freedom to children, to children not even yet born. Crying out, God. Oh, let God minister to your heart this morning. It's changing lives, changing nation. Even as we pray, even as we worship. Almighty God, and you are not